Well, happy Friday to one and all. It is the Speaking for Him podcast on a little more of a sombering subject tonight. This week, of course, being the 16th anniversary of September 11th. We're going to do a, a little reflection on what happened that day and what it was like to be there that day 16 years ago. I'm Adam McNutt alongside the host of the program, Mr. Andrew Gomison. Adam, I'm very grateful for everybody that's listening here. I just want to give a little bit of a disclaimer. We are going to talk about the events of that day and we're going to summarize them. So if you don't want your young children listening to this show, then I would advise that you listen to it another time. We're not going to get overly graphic, but we're just going to go through a timeline of events. And then Adam and I are going to talk a little bit about what our memories were of that day. And the reason I was inspired to do this, and sadly it wasn't for last week's show, because I like to do these these mem- these special shows before the the commemoration. But the reason I thought of it was because it struck me while I was in school um, this past week that none of the kids that go to the high school where I work or any high school for that matter, were alive at the time of 9-11. Wow. None of them understand the significance from a personal standpoint. So my goal in doing this podcast episode is to hopefully shed some light on that. And again, I don't think it's going to be expressly graphic, but because of what we're going to be talking about and the very realness of it, just use discretion with your children. And we will start out our show today with comments that George W. Bush, then president, um, made that night. Good evening. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. The victims were in airplanes or in their offices, secretaries, businessmen and women, military and federal workers, moms and dads, friends and neighbors. Thousands of lives were suddenly ended by evil, despicable acts of terror. The pictures of airplanes flying into buildings, fires burning, huge huge structures collapsing, have filled us with disbelief, terrible sadness, and a quiet, unyielding anger. These acts of mass murder were intended to frighten our nation into chaos and retreat. But they have failed. Our country is strong. A great people has been moved to defend a great nation. Terrorist attacks can shake the foundations of our biggest buildings, but they cannot touch the foundation of America. These acts shatter steel, but they cannot dent the steel of American resolve. America was targeted for attack because we're the brightest beacon for freedom and opportunity in the world. And no one will keep that light from shining. Today, our nation saw evil, the very worst of human nature. And we responded with the best of America, with the daring of our rescue workers, with the caring for strangers and neighbors who came to give blood and help in any way they could. Immediately following the first attack, I implemented our government's emergency response plans. Our military is powerful and it's prepared. Our emergency teams are working in New York City and Washington, D.C. to help with local rescue efforts. Our first priority is to get help to those who have been injured and to take every precaution 
to protect our citizens at home and around the world from further attacks. The functions of our government continue without interruption. Federal agencies in Washington, which had to be evacuated today, are reopening for essential personnel tonight and will be open for business tomorrow. Our financial institutions remain strong and the American economy will be open for business as well. The search is underway for those who are behind these evil acts. I've directed the full resources of our intelligence and law enforcement communities to find those responsible and to bring them to justice. We will make no distinction between the terrorists who committed these acts and those who harbor them. I appreciate so very much the members of Congress who have joined me in strongly condemning these attacks. And on behalf of the American people, I thank the many world leaders who have called to offer their condolences and assistance. America and our friends and allies join with all those who want peace and security in the world. And we stand together to win the war against terrorism. Tonight, I ask for your prayers for all those who grieve for the children whose worlds have been shattered, for all whose sense of safety and security has been threatened. And I pray they will be comforted by a power greater than any of us, spoken through the ages in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. This is a day when all Americans from every walk of life unite in our resolve for justice and peace. America has stood down enemies before, and we will do so this time. None of us will ever forget this day, yet we go forward to defend freedom and all that is good and just in our world. Thank you. Good night. And God bless America. And, and those were the words spoken by our President George W. Bush on September 11th. 2001 and uh right now adam and i are just going to read through a timeline of events from that day so hopefully those especially the high schoolers that i know who uh, who didn't live through it can get some context for what actually happened adam and i are just gonna alternate down this timeline and when we complete that then we will share some brief memories that we have of that day and then we'll we'll just end with that, but we hope that this will be a good time of reflection um, for us because it's been said often that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And so we need to learn from history. We, you know, we, we've profiled both the play and the book, things we couldn't say. It wasn't a, it wasn't a comfortable conversation mm -hmm. uh, to talk about Nazis and the Holocaust, but they were real is a real part of history and we need to be exercised in you know have having discussions about these things so we're just going to start in on this timeline adam you want to start at the top of the page well it all started september 11 2001 on that beautiful clear blue morning at 7 59 a.m the airplanes hijacked at 9 11 begin taking off around 8 a.m that morning the first to depart is American Airlines Flight 11, which was a Boeing 767, that leaves Boston's Logan International Airport for Los Angeles with 92 people on board. 
At 8.14 a.m., United Airlines Flight 175, a Boeing 767, with 65 passengers on board, board leaves Logan for Los Angeles. American Airlines Flight 77 leaves Washington Dulles International Airport at 8.20 a.m. The plane, a Boeing 757 with 64 people on board, is headed for Los Angeles. Finally, at 8.42 a.m., United Airlines Flight 93 departs from Newark International Airport. The Boeing 757, which carries 44 passengers, is bound for San Francisco. And then at 8.46 a.m., the first crash occurs at 8.46 when Flight 11 slams into the North Tower of New York's World Trade Center. According to the 9-11 Commission report, two flight attendants contact American Airlines as the plane is being hijacked to provide details of the emergency. They report the use of mace or a similar spray, several stabbings, and a bomb threat. The last known communication from the plane comes when flight attendant Madeline Amy Sweeney is on the phone with American Flight Services Manager Michael Woodward, and she says, oh my goodness, we are way too low. 9.03 a.m. The second crash comes at 9.03 a.m. when Flight 175 flies into the South Tower of the World Trade Center. The last communication made with air traffic control comes at 8.42 a.m. But passengers provide details of the flight by contacting their families by phone. Brian Sweeney calls his wife Julie to tell her the plane has been hijacked, and Peter Hansen tells his father Lee, I think they intend to go to Chicago or someplace and fly into a building. At 9.05 a.m., that's when President George W. Bush learns of the attacks while sitting in a second-grade classroom at an elementary school in Sarasota, Florida. White House Chief of Staff Andrew Card informs him of the attacks, whispering into his ear during the student's reading lesson. Bush later shares his memories of that day with National Geographic. He explains that when he receives news of the first plane at 8.50 a.m., just before entering the classroom, he believes it is a light aircraft, and his reaction is, man, the weather was bad or something extraordinary happened to the pilot. It isn't until Card informs him of the second plane that Bush understands America is now under attack. Nine thirty-one a.m. In an address from Emma Booker Elementary School in Sarasota, Florida, Bush calls the attacks a national tragedy and an apparent terrorist attack on our country. I have spoken to the vice president, to the governor of New York, to the director of the FBI, and have ordered the full resources of the federal government go to help the victims and the families and to conduct a full-scale investigation to hunt down and find these folks who committed this act, Bush says. Terrorism against our nation will not stand. At 9.36 a.m., Secret Service agents evacuate Vice President Dick Cheney and his aides from his office to the Presidential Emergency Operations Center, a Cold War-era bunker beneath the White House. At 9.37 a.m., Flight 77 crashes into the Pentagon. According to the 9-11 Commission report, passenger Barbara Olson calls her husband Ted, the Solicitor General of the United States, to inform him of the attack. She reports that the flight has been taken over and that the aircraft is flying low over houses. A few minutes later, air traffic controllers at Dallas International Airport observe a plane on their radar traveling at a high rate of speed. Officials from Ronald Reagan, Washington National Airport, warn the Secret Service of the aircraft shortly before Flight 77 hits the Pentagon. At 9.44 a.m., 9.45 a.m., just minutes after Flight 77 crashes into the Pentagon, 
The White House and U.S. Capitol are evacuated. At 9.59 a.m., after burning for 56 minutes, the South Tower of the World Trade Center collapses. The fall, which kills approximately 600 workers and first responders, lasts 10 seconds. At 10.03 a.m., the fourth hijacked plane crashes in a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. The 9-11 Commission report reports that several passengers make calls from the plane and receive word of the other hijackings. Upon hearing the news that major cities were being targeted, the passengers decide to fight back. Five calls describe the intent of passengers and surviving crew members to revolt against the hijackers. According to one call, they, vote, they voted on whether to rush the terrorists in an attempt to retake the plane. They decided and then acted. At 9.57 a.m., the passenger assault began. Several passengers had terminated calls with loved ones in order to join the revolt. One of the callers ended her message as follows. Everyone's running up to first class. I've got to go. Bye. According to the 9-11 memorial, the hijackers deliberately crashed into a field to prevent passengers, uh, prevent passengers from retaking the airplane. The crash site in Shanksville is approximately 20 minutes flying time from Washington, D.C., at 10.28, after burning for 102 minutes, the North Tower of New York City's World Trade Center collapses, killing approximately 1,400 people. And finally, at 11.02 a.m., New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani orders an evacuation of Lower Manhattan, alerting everyone south of Canal Street to leave. And that is a summation of the events of that day. Of course, uh, we know that the aftershocks and everything that happened that day dragged on for many days and uh, so it's hard to hear it put in that succinct of words but um, Adam can you tell us a little bit about how you found out about it and what you were doing that day yeah I was 10 years old I was in fifth grade and the interesting thing is that I actually didn't know about it until 3 in the afternoon. The school I went to uh, didn't want to panic any of the kids, and they weren't even sure if we'd completely understand what was going on. So they decided to wait until they officially knew exactly what was going on and that it was partially over once they gave us the information. So I actually, half the day that all these things were happening, I didn't even know they were going on until later in the afternoon. Uh, it hit our family particularly hard because my dad is a full-time fireman. And in fact, he actually stopped by my school, I guess, asking if he could tell me what had happened and, and, and wanted to maybe inform some of the classmates too. And they said, we're going to be taking care of that. So I, I, I uh, got picked up by my dad. He told me what happened. And once I got home, about three thirty, four o'clock that afternoon, I saw the images on TV at first. And, and that's, that's when it really hit you, even at 10 years old. And growing up, for some reason, I was like, always obsessed with New York City and in fact I had pictures of the World Trade Center and like a magnet from a teacher who went there and got that for me as a gift so um, it was very odd to see some of my favorite landmarks fall and I remember as the evening went on we got called about a special church service that was being done as a prayer service so we quick right after dinner ran over there and then we came home and that evening we watched President Bush on TV live as he gave that address and uh, it it kind of brings back those feelings again from what it was like 16 years ago. I got to say, it officially hit me, though, that night when I went to bed. I think it was 9 or 10 o'clock. And that summer, I'd started listening to the radio next to my bed. So I turn on the radio, 
and they were playing clips over and over of what had happened and people screaming and crying. And as I was laying in bed, I remember thinking, even at 10, like, you know what? This is huge, and things will never be the same again. And I remember I, I started crying a little bit because by that moment it was like, okay, this was something that the world has never experienced. And um, you and I were just talking off air a few minutes ago about a particular Christmas gift that you got that kind of uh, took on special significance after these attacks. Yeah. Could you explain that? And you and you just, to give a little bit of context, he just um, kind of made a, made a connection about it um, a few days ago again. Yeah. And so he posted about it on Facebook. But can you tell our listeners about that? So in the Christmas of 2000, my grandma had gotten me this puzzle as a gift – and the interesting thing is I wasn't big into puzzles or anything. I think it was because there were a lot of city buildings on that puzzle why my grandma knew and I was And so you were interested. big into New York. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So um, she bought me this puzzle where it's Jesus standing in a wheat field, and he's looking at all these different landmarks of America and even around the world. But it's crazy because right where he's looking, it goes right to the World Trade Center. And, again, this was Christmas of 2000. So this would have been the last holiday before 9-11 happened. And it didn't hit me until this year when I was thinking about that puzzle and that picture. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's just so crazy to think about. Like, you know, he could have been looking in any direction on that picture. But it was how he was looking at those World Trade Center buildings. It looked like he was holding a stalk of wheat and he had that kindness in his face. And, and he was just looking at it with it with this, I don't know, with this look of compassion, like knowing – what was going to happen. And I'm not one of those conspiracy people, but the fact that he's looking right at it and I got it that Christmas before 9-11 happened, I had to post it on Facebook this past week kind of as a tribute. Like, this is just too coincidental that this would have been given to me literally within months of that horrible day happening. And this is actually going to be the picture that's going to go up on the blog for this episode because I, I was blown away by it myself when I saw it. I was like, really? They made a puzzle? Of this, but they did, and uh, it's just, it's so appropriate because even through all that tragedy and through everything that happened, I know that God was watching over so many, and there are several survivor stories of people that didn't think they would make it out alive, people that spent time in rubble and still made it out alive, and there were so many stories in the years that followed about women who were pregnant when 9-11 happened and their husbands had perished mm. in the various attacks on 9-11. There were stories of great heroism, specifically from Todd Beamer and other people who were on Flight 93 who caused the hijackers to alter their plans and crash into a Pennsylvania field. Um, And... My memories of that day are pretty clear as well. I'm a little older than Adam, so I wasn't in 10th grade. I was actually <laughs> in college, um, but I did my college correspondence. So I was at my computer um, doing college work. And my brother Thaddeus, who he's um, six years younger than me, and in 2001, September, I would have been 22. So he was 16 
So he was still a homeschooled high schooler. And he runs downstairs and he he says, terrorists attacked the United States. So I didn't hear about this until after the second plane hit, hit the tower. Mm. And I was always trying to keep myself from being distracted on the computer when I was doing schoolwork. So I tried to keep most of the internet closed because I didn't want to be distracted into doing anything but schoolwork, which was a very real possibility. Um, so, but when he said that, I flipped on the radio and it w- it was like a nightmare that you would never think was actually happening. You know, it's kind of my generation's Pearl Harbor. Yeah. You know, um, interesting, interestingly enough, I just recently watched the Waltons episode about the bombing of Pearl Harbor because I really like the Waltons classic TV show. And it was really interesting to actually see them depict that event and, and events in history like that um, on a show like the Waltons and to see those characters react to that. And I just think, I think 9-11 changed a lot for my family indirectly because I'm pretty sure that's a big reason why so many of my brothers and my brother-in-law chose to join the armed forces. Um, I know for one brother, he said that he didn't feel like he could he could stand up in class in college and defend the actions of our government in fighting against terrorism if he wasn't willing to join the fight. Mm. And so, but anyway, I just remember... Um, I remember begging my professors, uh, at least one professor in particular, for an extension on my schoolwork. Because I said, even though this hasn't directly affected my family, nobody that we knew was in New York, um, it still stopped time. Like, yeah. uh, we didn't have an antenna for our TV at the time. And my... My brother called my mom and said, you you better get an antenna. We're going to want to be watching the news. And I was watching the news on the Internet for most of the, that day and probably a lot of days that week just trying to absorb that this major catastrophe happened on our homeland. You know, and, and the interesting thing about Pearl Harbor is is it was an attack on us because, because Hawaii was a U.S. territory, but it wasn't even a state at the time. That's true. Back so this was, this was a legit attack on the lower forty-eight. You know, in a place where I know there's big buildings, but you still you don't expect any of that to happen. And I never really liked tall buildings in the first place. Ever going to them or going up long elevators, but after that, I even got a little more skittish about that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's something that's been burned into my memory, and I, I hope that we never forget because there's a lot of forgetting going on. I feel like people don't realize the sacrifices that our troops make. We haven't had a major terrorist attack in the United States since that happened, and I believe that it's largely due to the vigilant um, efforts of, of the people that work in the defense of this nation. You know, we can have a lot of disagreements on a lot of different political issues, but one thing we should never disagree on is the fact that our nation needs to be defended. 
um, even before we got a bajillion government programs, one of the primary goals, one of the primary things that America set out to do in its founding was to provide for the common defense. And I'm extremely grateful for everyone who does that. We've just gone through a season of a lot of hurricanes in the U.S., a lot of devastation. And I got to say, a lot of those heroes are the same. People running the wrong way when you should be getting out of Dodge, running into trouble so they can help other people. And I know there are people, particularly in the New York Fire Department and Police Department, who had days off when they realized that New York City was under attack, they didn't just stay home and say, whew, I got out of that one. No, they ran into New York City, and some of them never ran back out. That's America. America is people standing up for one another and caring for one another in their time of need. And I really hope that the commemoration of 9-11, along with the things that have happened with the natural disasters that are upon us right now, will serve to cause Americans to be unified in a way they haven't been in a long time. You know, we'll never fully agree on a lot of things. There are people that disagree vehemently with me on a lot of things. But one thing I hope that even... Um, one thing I hope that everybody regardless of how they feel about my individual views on things, one thing I hope everybody know, knows is how much I love this country and how much I love God. I believe those things go hand in hand, and I hope that as you've listened to this, these reflections on 9-11, that you will learn from them. I hope that you will use discretion, but if your child is old enough, you know, mid-teens, they need to hear this episode. Because they need to know what happened on 9-11-2001. They need to know why it's not just another day. Um, September 11th did not mean anything in 2000. But it meant everything in 2001. And it's hard to believe that we are um, 16 years gone from that and as I said there's literally no one in the high school that I work at that's old enough to remember any of it some of them may have been born because they're one they're six months or one year old or maybe two but they don't remember the event because it didn't happen to them and for those of us who lived through it we remember where we were we remember the sacrifice, and we will never, ever forget. This is Andrew Gomison saying, have a great weekend, and keep serving the best of